way I tell the story is that it's like an idea knocked on the door of my heart. And whenever your passion and your purpose get matched with opportunity, um, that I believe is what happens to the human spirit. And it came to me in the form of a question, which is what if everyone in the world knew that they could innovate and how? And it just blew my mind up. <laughs> For us, innovation is an action, and we clarify that through our definition, which is innovation is people making money by turning failure into ideas that work. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people grow your business and grow your life. Today is episode 48 and our special guest is Michelle Royal. Michelle is the founder and chief innovation officer of Royal Innovation Design Group, RIDG. And the title today is An Idea Knocked on the Door of My Heart, Fueling the Spirit, Practice and Process of Innovation. Yes, we are going to talk about innovation, but it's gonna be in ways that I'm guessing are be very different from what you've heard before. Michelle has a master's in business innovation from Deusto Business School in Bilbao, Spain. She also has a master of arts from the University of Chicago. And get this, she was the first innovation coach to the European Union. And she's going to talk today about innovation, people, and problem solving. Michelle has some really unique perspectives on innovation. One of the things I love that she talked about near the end of the interview is this idea of innovation, innovating anywhere anytime, with anyone, any day of the week. And she has a definition of innovation that goes like this. Innovation is people making money by turning failure into ideas that work. So that's the hook, folks. Looking at innovation differently and really looking at the people side and the leadership side and how they must work together in order to be effective and impactful with innovation. Prepare yourself to be innovative in your thinking with Michelle Royal. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking, and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We have already, I know, a fascinating guest. I've not actually had the opportunity to meet Michelle before. We have Michelle Royal with us. She is the founder and chief innovation officer of Ridge RIDG, which is Royal Innovation Design Group. She's a speaker, consultant, entrepreneur, and she is all things innovation. And I will tell you, I rarely mention people's so-called credentials. I mean, so-called, they're probably real. But Michelle's <laughs> are so fascinating and unique. She has a master's in business innovation from the Dusto? Deusto. Deusto Business School in, Bil in Bilbao, Spain. Yes. She has a master of arts in art therapy from the Art Institute of Chicago. She's a senior fellow of the Alliance for Innovation, and here's the one that caught my attention, the first ever innovation coach to the European Union. <laughs> wow. Now, how many people walk around with that card? <laughs> <laughs> 
I was one, was one person. I was part of a team. I will say I was part of a team. A great team. Well, we're all part of a team. That's what we do. We give, we give credit to our team. That's yeah. right. Welcome. Michelle, welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast. Uh, Michelle here in Tampa, St. Pete area with me. This is going to be fascinating, I can tell, because <laughs> off, offline, Michelle said that all things to her are innovation, and that's like me saying all things are leadership. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be it's going to be fun as it always is. So welcome, Michelle. Thank yes, you. Welcome. So excited to be here. So Michelle, fill in some of the gaps in that story. I planted some seeds. Uh-huh. Put, some, put, some, put some fruit on those trees. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Let me 100% give you, uh, I guess, some filler. Uh, well, <laughs> the short short of it is that I actually am just a small town girl from Arkansas that was raised in the subway franchise my parents did not get uh college degrees and they're like the american dream we were bankrupt living on a farm and my dad landed in the biggest franchise industry in the world (laughs) but um and so in that sense i was very lucky Um, always an artist always very creative had a desire to serve individuals in business had a bumps, few bumps in the road that got me interested in psychology and then landed at a conference 13 years ago, 14 years ago now in 2006, in which I was introduced to the idea and the concept of business innovation. And the way I tell the story is that it's like an idea knocked on the door of my heart. And whenever your passion and your purpose get matched with opportunity, um, that, I believe, is what happens to the human spirit. And it came to me in the form of a question, which is, what if everyone in the world knew that they could innovate and how? And it just blew my mind up. <laughs> and then uh, after a few meetings with trusted advisors who told me I would never be doing the work that I'm doing today because I didn't come from Deloitte or McKinsey or Bain or Harvard or all of those things, Um, Within two short years, I was that first innovation coach and then came back to the United States and ta-da, the rest. (laughs) Well, I didn't see, I didn't know any of that was coming, Michelle, and I already love it. Talking about passion, (laughs) purpose, this hits you in the heart. I mean, that is so much at the core of the way that Craig and I see the world and business. Mm -hmm. So I know this is going to be something other than just a talk about X's and O's. (laughs) or zeros and ones well but x's and o's can also be hugs and kisses so (laughs) that's true that is true so at at the risk of offending you michelle Mm -hmm. though i know that so many people think about innovation as anything that's different and i guess i agree with them somewhat but i've I feel like we live in a world where innovation has become cliche in that it's, as long as we do one little thing different, oh, we innovated. So I'd love to hear your perspective on what is innovation. Sure. So, so first off, um, there, there certainly are a lot of definitions where it is an end product experience for the user, the person who's consuming it. Um, it is a process. Uh, it is a state of mind or being. Uh, For us, innovation is an action, and we clarify that through our definition, which is innovation is people making money by turning failure into ideas that work. (laughs) 
and it is very specific to that because what we know is that it is a deep journey in which you come face to face with how much you don't know and your own limitations. And the more that you are able to adjust and manage change and overcome with a team of people, uh, you are then able to solve any problem. It is, a, is, it is a deep and committed disciplined problem solving process that yields value that has never been experienced before, either at the level a client experiences it or in a way someone experiences it. Wow. So this is not going from blue pens to black pens and <laughs> we're going to go deeper than that? No, and yet, and yet most innovation is a mashup of something. It's applying something from one industry in another industry in a totally new way. Industries can innovate by applying business models. Let's say that, uh, let's say that a, a legacy industry applies a startup business model. Um, there's, even if that startup has been successful for the last three to five years and the industry has been around for 100 that's still going to be an innovation. It's putting two things together. It's like um, instead of uh, instead of peanut butter and jelly, you end up with Nutella. Even though Nutella has been around for a long time, you end up with peanut butter and hazelnuts, or Reese's right? or chocolate and hazelnuts, or yeah. something. Right? You know, right. you just—it's something new in that sense. Yeah. Nice. Well, one of the things that popped into my head, Michelle, because this is something I run into almost every time I go into an organization as it relates to innovation. I love. You had the word failure in there. Mm. Um, I often have companies do an assessment before I work with them. And almost always they have two answers that are different. One is the people are asked, are you encouraged to try new things and do things differently? The answer is always, they always score very high on that. Then the other question, which is kind of buried in there, which is, um, is it acceptable? How acceptable is here to try things and fail? And they always score very low. And a lot of times the leaders will say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. And then they get it, that they're telling people to try new things, but they've got to get it right. So in other words, you can innovate all you want as long as it works the first time. And how often do you find that's an impediment to innovation, that there's a culture that doesn't really allow for failure and learning? Right. So there's, there's, a, there's a multifaceted answer to that because um, what we find, and uh, we, didn't, we didn't talk about this, we, we are akin in our leadership development or leadership design. The business innovation and leadership design program is our, uh, where we uncover this. And the first obstacle that we have to overcome with companies and, and failure has to do with the rejection rate, not the failure rate, and not the rejection rate from the client, but the rejection rate internally. So I, as an individual, have had, let's just give, I'm hypothetically in a large organization or a small organization, I've had a lot of ideas on how to do a lot of awesome things. And I have been rejected time and time again. I haven't even been, it's not even that I've been told to try something and get it right. I have, I've been told that can't be done. We don't have the budget. It's not time. Um, That's not your job. Mm. Um, There's a whole lot of things that happen. So there's, there's a rejection rate. Number two, um, around failure, uh, 
the assumption that my idea, and this is one of the myths of the entrepreneur, one of the challenges of the entrepreneur is that many entrepreneurs were, will sink their entire life savings into an idea without ever testing it with the market out of a fear of being wrong yeah. or out of a fear or out of staunch confidence that it's the absolute right thing. And they're not falling in love with their customer. They're instead falling in love with an idea. Well, an idea is only as purposeful as it is able to serve all of the individuals. And it has to, that's a communication process. Mm. For, we, we are beholden. We are servants to the idea and servants to the customer simultaneously. So there's not a culture that supports that. And so, so there's already, what the, if, if, if a company examines it properly, they have failed multiple times. And if they're able to come face to face with how they have failed and be really honest about that, then they can understand that, wait a second, we already have a failure mechanism, a, an acceptance of failure in the company. So uh, can we just translate that now into a system that's going to mobilize not only the ideas, but the work effort of individuals mm. going forward? Can we do that? Can we lead that? Can, can I, am I worthy of that? Am I going to have the trust and respect that I can, we can fail together now? And it's not going to be a, a sense of rejection or isolation. Well, I love something you said in there. I've never heard it put that way of falling in love with our idea or our product instead of falling in love with our customers. Mm-hmm. Because that to me, very, very visual to me of it is about the customers. And, you know, Craig and I talk about putting our people first, but that thing of get, falling in love with the concept versus the customer, I love that. And so I'm curious about something, Michelle, you talked about failure. And what I find fascinating is that every leader that I've ever met talks about the importance of failure. They all talk about it and learning from it. And yet those same leaders struggle to allow failure within their organization. So tell me about your experience of what do you find is that disconnect of saying we believe in it, but not really allowing that to exist within their organization? Well, I think, as I mentioned, I see the world and I see all things innovation because I understand the generative world of value creation. I have a deep, deep understanding of that. So whenever I work with leaders and they um, deny or are concerned about what failure means, then we have to reset what the measurement or the metric and what it could achieve for the organization. Mm. Um, So uh, as I mentioned, every company doesn't hit the mark or fails at something. And if we can help them see that, uh, have a conversation about it, uh, face that reality, and then say, you're already failing, might as well fail towards innovation. (laughs) So if you're already failing at this, then let's just put that energy, because it's still the same thing, still still, still the same effort, effort and go forward. Have you ever um, trained for uh, a race or something fitness, you know, like a, like a 5k or a 10k. Mm-hmm. Tried not to, but yeah. Tried not to, yeah. <laughs> My but wife drug me into it. it. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever follow a training program, um, you don't out of the gate 
run a half marathon day one. Right. You actually start with six, five times a week. You don't even do six times a week. You do five times a week. And in my mind, you fail at a half marathon a hundred times before you run the half marathon. <laughs> That's a great point. We, we actually used an app to get us up to the 5K. It was called Couch to 5K. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Couch to 5K. And you start with like half a mile or a mile walk. And then there's a walk run. You yep. are not running every single time. You are not running a half marathon. Great analogy. Every single time you are doing something other than that. So mm. technically you're wow. failing. That's the same in innovation work. In innovation work, you are not doing the big thing. You are not AI. You are not robotic process automating. You are not, <laughs> there's a lot of things you're not doing. So technically you're already failing as part implicit part of the innovation process. And Getting companies to understand that work effort of experimenting and testing and learning and failing as just part and parcel of the job to be done um, is as easy as helping them see where they already are. Wow. You talked about this rejection factor, which yeah. I absolutely see. And to me, a lot of that is a lack of awareness that they're doing it. So what are some of the strategies you've used with businesses to help them? Number one, do they see that? Are they able to see it pretty quickly? And how do you help them navigate that differently going forward? Because if people have been rejected, it's, it's challenging to get them to start thinking of ideas again. Yeah. They've been trained not to. Exactly. They are trained to, um, to stick to their lane. And there's value. there's value in that. It's can they see their lane within the whole innovation, within the innovation process as a, as a, as a completion, right? So, so that's, that's part of the whole innovation story is helping them understand it as a, as a process. And what I, I can get on my soapbox about what it means to be an innovator. Soapboxes are welcome here. A little bit later. So <laughs> for just, just, just a bit. Um, so the, um, so rejection it comes out in the very, even, even in just the engagement, whenever a client's engaging and evaluating whether or not they want to work with us uh, as experts, because they will say, um, this is my project and Bob or Susan or Joe or um, whatever, Tim or Karen um, last year approached the executive team or um, tried uh, in to to do this innovation effort and failed, or uh, we gathered all of this information and have done this a couple times before, and it we did nothing with it. And they give indicators of where rejection and failure equally have both happened. Um, where it really comes to a head, though, is in the oh wow, now we know this is the direction we want to move in. This is the innovation strategy that we're going to move forward. Um, now we need to get uh, the team on board who's going to implement it or test it or, or help us really expand it in the company. That's where you come face to face with all of the rejection. And the strategy is to use the same, um, the same approach to your team as you would your customer because now they are your customer. Your fellows on the journey with you deserve just as much empathy as the end user client that you're serving. 
And, and we have found that many times for innovation to be successful, there is an examination of the internal process. Overall, we do a big thing called customer experience design, which affects services, products, and opportunities, moments that matter. If we could change this, it would make all the difference for our clients. And then you open the door to what those big ideas could be. In, there's an internal process that supports that. So the strategy is to apply the empathy approach, give them the tools to tell the story of what their ideal day would be like, what their ideal process would be like, what it would mean to them if they could serve the client at the highest level, what it would mean to them if they could do their job at the highest level. And so in some ways, innovation to be ultimately successful ends up being not just about that um, value that's baked into the product or the service, it gets, it, it gets uh, turned into this whole experience where everyone who's an expert in the business, because they're, you know, our clients that we work with, they're experts in their business, get to shine in their expertise and finally make the change that they've wanted to change. You know the big change management rule, right? Yeah. Wait for it. Wait, I wait for it. it, wait for it. Um, people don't want to be changed unless it is them that has decided to change. That's no, that's very oh, true. Oh, Craig, we lost you. We lost you, Craig. You're muted. Boom. Uh, I think what it, what you're talking about here is cust is employee experience design, and this is something that, as I was doing some some searching and figuring out what the Google search rate is for different things related to leadership, that was one that was very low, but it's starting to come up. It's starting to inch up a little bit because people are starting to realize, hey, if I can create a great experience for my employees they can create a great experience for our customer. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and we're, in a, we're at a time, in an age, <laughs> when the COVID meteor hit the United, you know, hit the world, yeah, that's right? right? <laughs> and uh, we are all face-to-face -face with life on life's terms as it has never, we can't go into the bubble of the office anymore and separate mm. ourselves from the reality of everything we're surrounded by. Mm. And the work-life balance is cattywampus and <laughs> the demands on how we engage with each other. It's, it's yeah. an extremely human journey. I mean, at the end of the day, with all of the technology advancements that are out there, innovation is about by and for people. Mm. It just is. Yep. Just is. It's, it's so good to realize that everything comes back to the peeps, right? It's the peeps, man. That's right. I mean, you know, we talk about serving businesses, you know, if we're in the B2B space, but ultimately serving businesses is serving people because those businesses serve people in some way and, and the employees inside it comes back to the peeps. It does. It does, which is why I see I, I, I'm on a mission to help individuals understand how they are innovators because they contribute overall to an innovation process. It's not just, and here's my soapbox. Sorry, <laughs> not sorry. Bring it. Totally happy to be on it. But um, we have a religiosity of the entrepreneur guru right now. Hmm. And in the United States, we have for a number of years. I, I love entrepreneur stories. I am an entrepreneur. I was raised by entrepreneurs. Uh, and so it's in, in that sense, I'm, I'm in it. I understand it. And I am nothing without my team. I am, my ideas are so 
uh, centralized around mm. only the world I can affect without a full, uh, without the ability to influence and inspire and empower a whole team of individuals. And yeah. so for the innovation process, it's not just the idea because we just talked about failure. The idea has to be formulated and go through all this failure. It needs a partner, i.e. a team of people. It goes through experimenting and testing and evolving in a complete process all the way down to the risk manager and the compliance individual. They're part of that too. Because at the end of the day, an idea has no value if it stays locked in the heart and mind of an entrepreneur or an individual or all of the individuals who know how to make it that much better to work within the specific business system, business model, business process, that's going to allow it to live and sing and, and, and bring joy to as many customers as possible, right? It it's requires everyone. So they are all innovators in my That's book. a good soapbox, Michelle. Yeah, I like, I like, I like soapbox. my soapbox. <laughs> that <is good. laughs> I like my soapbox. <laughs> so that makes me wonder, Michelle, when you go into companies, how often is there some version of this conversation where they say they want to innovate and you're telling them they're not ready to innovate because their culture is not ready to innovate? And there's their work that has to be done to prepare the team to innovate because of what's come before. Uh, so our... And our first phase of our program is called innovation readiness. Mm. It just gets you ready for it. Now, uh, even before we start with the culture, I know that uh, the leader of the organization or the business unit, if it's a large, say, you know, $5 billion company, um, has to not just have buy-in. I need to know their voice. I need to hear their mind. I need to know what matters to them. I need to know why this matters now. There's, there's a lot of story components or influence components as, as part of that. And so, so the innovation readiness is all about understanding the strategy that they thought they were going to do, right? <laughs> Go forward and grow, which could be aspirational, inspirational, or financially motivated and align it to um, and align it to what would be an innovation strategy, which is the development and cultivation of uh, ultimately a culture or end products and services. Now, most companies talk about disruption, uh, meaning they want to be disruptive or they want to be able to take advantage of disruptions. Um, every company right now is being disrupted at, <laughs> on a mass scale. So there's a big swirling, twirling, melting pot of stuff that's opportunity-based. And, um, and so your question was about uh, when it's about culture and they want it to be about the end product. Um, it is about evaluating where they've made innovation investments before. So the size of companies that we work, have work, work, worked with and that we do work with, sometimes we'll invest any, let's just say millions of dollars anywhere from, I think 2 million was the lowest amount that they invested in a quote unquote innovation strategy, which was an accelerator program that some of the events cost $500,000 and yielded nothing other than PR and marketing, which is fine. Some of them yielded a, a whole list, you know, a, they invested in just technologies or they look at technology strategy or they think this widget is going to fix this problem and it's not integrated or whole. Mm. I think the bigger question is around how integrated they view their system and the changes that they're making to really make an impact. It's, 
it's tough. But if we use innovation as the lens and help them define it as the, uh, in their readiness program, help mm. them define innovation according to their strategy, and then select a starting point, which may be culture, it might be a project that inspires the possibility for the culture, helps them see that they can, gives them a win so that they can overcome the failure rejection rate. Um, those would be some of the strategies that I would employ overall. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. So one of the things Jeff and I talk about is the core four, the, the mission, values, um, vision, and purpose, yeah. and the, how those shape things. It, something I, I call the innovation spearhead. That's kind of like the shaft of the spear is that part. And then we get into, okay, now, now that we are all together moving forward in the same direction and we're looking at the culture of innovation, are we allowing this? Is this something that we want as a core, core value of ours? Then we're moving into that space of, okay, now when somebody has an idea, what do we do with it? Is there a process that we're, we're going to put in place? It, or is this just this ad hoc thing of, okay, we want some ideas, but we're not really going to do anything with it from formally. So what do you see from a, you know, it, I guess this is really for sometimes a little bit larger organizations, but the process for filtering those, those different ideas. So innovation prioritization is a really important factor uh, of, of the readiness. So what are the criteria? How are we going to, to know whether or not something is viable and also has the potential to really create the waves in the marketplace? And it is 100% dependent. How you prioritize your near, mid, and long-term innovation potential has everything to do not only with what the, is happening out in the market, it has 100% to do with your unique orientation in the market as a business, mm -hmm. this is who we are and where we are currently standing and what's happening in the environment. And then your unique contribution, which is your vision. Mm -hmm. where, what is it that we're headed to? What's our North Star? So if this is who we are and this is our North Star, just like this is Michelle Royal and this is her North Star, her North Star is one billion innovators then my perspective is very shadowed, right, by that. Then I see the world very differently and I approach mm -hmm. it very differently as a result of those two orientation points yeah. in the world. Now, a business can have the same thing. Uh, we, we work with executive teams on, on that identity process. There are a lot of different prioritization frameworks, but again, the frameworks 100% depend on the direction of what it, your vision of where you're going, your North mm -hmm. Star, and what it will mean whenever you achieve that. So what is your contribution to the world as a result of that? Gotcha. Now, one of the things that comes out as you're talking about that, you, you talked about your perspective and your North Star 
And I, I see that everybody has their unique perspective on, on the world, right? And so if I have an idea and my manager doesn't really like it because their filter is, oh, you know, anything Craig says just isn't worthwhile or, you know, for whatever reason, he doesn't like that particular issue. One of the things I wonder is, do we push those ideas up another level so that there's, there's a, a greater perspective on how that idea may impact things beyond that, maybe that individual or that department? There's a, there's a company called Winnovations, and they talk about a particular Myers-Briggs type, a, an intuitive thinker that is, a, is 95% more likely to select a good idea. And so do you have some people that are maybe have a bigger perspective or that right kind of maybe makeup to be able to pick the winners? Yeah, so... Um... So there's picking the winners and then knowing what to test. And there are mm. frameworks to assess what idea you're going to test according to, because an idea is baked with assumptions. Mm -hmm. An idea is baked with impacts on the business model. An idea is baked with implications mm -hmm. overall. So we have uh, uh, implications, assumptions, overall effect on systems. Mm -hmm. And an individual, if we're just talking about idea transfer, oh, I have this idea. I have to frame that idea for the individual who's going to hear it at the mm -hmm. end of the day if I want to open the door to exploring it. Because, <laughs> yes, the idea yeah. could be the thing. Lots of people throw ideas at me every single day from marketing, commercials, and you know, all kinds of things, but I have to know what I'm going for, for me to be able to evaluate mm -hmm. ideas according to, are they going to get me to my end outcome at right. the end of the day? So people come up with ideas to either solve work problems, um, solve client problems. There could be incentives, paying for ideas, horrible, horrible, horrible. Don't do it. Don't pay for <laughs> ideas. The crappy idea. That's a crappy idea. Don't use that idea. And then someone's going to take it. They're going to prove me wrong. They're going to create a system where paying for ideas is awesome. Cool. Prove me wrong. Do it. I don't care. But don't do it. Don't do it in the sense of today for what we're saying. Um, so do you then bring it? Do you have a, a group of individuals who are exploring ideas? There is a work effort around ideas. There's, a, there's an entire way to test an idea and see if it even is possible. The, we did a, a session with a client last week, which was, they said, we need to know what, what our assumptions are and the riskiest assumption. So the idea is, is about their entire service package and creating some messaging that's going to resonate with their clients. They had some very risky assumptions. They got to the riskiest assumption. We did the very first test. Let's just test if we can even create a message out of this. That was the very first test. Then you have the next test. Let's test if our clients even think that this is going to hit the mark. That's phone calls. Um, so we talk about testing as if it's some sort of expensive, time-intensive thing, but it's not. In design thinking, which is an element of innovation, yep. you only need really um, for the sample of, say, a, let's say you have 100 clients, you need the feedback of your ideal six. Hmm. That's what you need. So, um, so, so creating a system for testing. I also want to talk about just like trust and respect because you said my manager may 
Like, oh, I don't like him, so I'm going to reject the idea. Jockeying for power is a real thing, and politics is a real thing in organizations. So at the executive level, I'm going to spring back to your prior question. If there's not an environment of trust and respect, which cannot be placated to, people can read the BS meter, day one, minute one, second one. And oftentimes I'll put my own crap on the line to open the door to that, to say this is how real it is, this is what it's about. Because again, it's about people, working with people, overcoming extreme failure until they find something that works. And that is a painful, painful process that a lot of companies don't know how to mitigate the risk for. But we, there's ways, ways to do it. Michelle, you talked about something that I know is on everybody's mind right now, which is COVID. Yes. Um, And everybody's been disrupted. Yes. So what I want to ask you about that is I tend to see the world, as Craig knows, through movies and music. Yay. And the line that was hitting me about this was from the show Hamilton. And there's a line in that show where they say, what a wonderful time to be alive. And they're talking about, isn't it cool Think about that, to be alive during the revolution. And I look at COVID as the same thing. It is incredibly sad. People, I mean, it's a real thing. It's a life and death thing. And in terms of change, I think this is an incredibly rich time. My fear is that what's going on right now is not enough innovation, but a lot of adjustment, which to me is not the same as innovation if I go back. You know, you know, how many companies said we could never work remotely? Well, we're working remotely. <laughs> so that's, they said, well, we innovated. Well, to me, it's not innovation unless that's something they continue to evolve into going forward. If they go back to the old way, was it really an innovation? So speak to this time of COVID and what are you seeing around innovation now? And what can business leaders be looking at differently now because we're in the midst of COVID? Yeah. Sure. I'm a... <clears throat> I'm gonna. I want to source it correct, correctly, uh, or the term that I'm looking for, and I'm not finding it. I'm not finding. Okay, so there is a term. Ah, Joy Ito. Uh, Joy Ito has a TED talk. He's called a Nowist, and he has a story <laughs> about. Um, because again, I, I'm uh, innovation agnostic. There's 63 codified methods that we currently know about. Um, there are a few schools of thought that lead within the larger consulting firms that are basically two or three of those codified methods. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to crack the nut of innovation, just gonna yeah. say. Interesting. So, yeah, so a nowist, and I'm agnostic because I'm about aligning with the system that you currently have, finding out and helping you see what you're currently doing is innovating and moving you forward. That's mm-hmm. what we have to do. When, you, when, you, when you're ready to change, you have to change from where you are. That's unavoidable. I'm not gonna fly you to Nova Scotia and yeah. say that that's the place to innovate. We gotta do it here and now, now more than ever because we're all in our homes and it's just the way it's happening. So this nowist, Joy Ito, gives a story about a tsunami that hit Japan and then how through cell phone communication, they began a data analytics to try to identify where people, where individuals were living. But what happened as a side note of that, 
was that they were also trying to track where the seismic activity continued because tsunamis are earthquakes that cause, right, you know, this, I think that's how it works. I'm not a scientist. I, don't, I may be totally sounded dumb now, but, but anyway, that's what I think. It's an earthquake out in the ocean that ends there's up. There's this thing and there's big water comes very bad. <laughs> very, very bad, very bad, very, very bad. So, um, so we are in the midst of a tsunami. And right now, um, we, I see everything as innovation. You're seeing adjustment. I think it's awesome. Let's talk about the difference between the two. Because 10 years ago when Uber was being formed, or 2008 when Uber was being formed, or Airbnb, or in the 1980s during the last recession when Trader Joe's was formed, we did not, we may have seen, that we did not see those as the innovation that they became known as. Uh, even though at the time it was groundbreaking or it was meeting the need, a deep need, customer need at the time that then got funded and expanded, right? Um, so there is innovation happening. We may not see it just yet. It may be small. Uh, it may be a, coming to fruition. It, businesses in their life cycle that have, uh, that lead by either ego or know-it-allness of there's nothing that could in, uh, happen to us. I'm more concerned about the businesses that are having zero impact from COVID than those that are, mm. and that are adjusting to it. Um, I am more concerned about the, the ones that have, that believe that, um, that, again, they have all the answers in the mature state or are well-funded and are still um, having a customer base because customer needs are changing. And so if there's, a, if there's an eye on innovation, it is all about listen to the people. There's technologies that are being invested in. I mean, our um, virtual platform and our virtual tools that we use, uh, one, of the, one of the organizations just got uh, $1.5 in funding, Series B funding, I think, <laughs> or $1.5 What did you get? Probably a million. Point <laughs> five billion to be Amazon level investment. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so it got uh, ah 118 million. Still not okay. a small, That's just a 10 percent of that. So 118 million in Series B funding. Wow. Um, never would have happened because again their users increased, and if they didn't scale, they were yeah. going to lose their their customer. Wow. So it, so there's. There is innovation happening, and I'll tell you, yeah. I don't know if you've worked in the virtual environment as if trying to recreate a physical space. It's, it's nothing short of a production, like a movie production, yeah. talk about movies, nothing short of a movie production, create, recreating a human experience. I mean, we talked right before about how amazing it was that you were having a conversation for four hours and just yeah. the, like the intensity of it and the emotion of it and the connection of it, getting to that without being physically face-to-face -face has to be designed. That's an entire experience design. Whole new services are going to emerge and not heavy laden, expensive, multi-million dollar consulting fee service design, right. but people will solve the problem of designing experience. That will be a whole new innovation, a whole new world that's mm. opening up. Internal and external, to your point, Craig, what you were talking about. Yeah. Employee and customer experience. Yeah, and I, I would imagine that there are a lot of companies out there that are radically 
innovating their, their logistics side <laughs> because they have to, right? But there's, there's been so much that has come out because we're now into seeing what the possibilities of these tools, these digital tools are. My wife is a school teacher and it's, it's rocked her world. I mean, massive change in that space. Um, but we're looking at some of the other things that we're doing and I'm, I'm delivering to people all over the world. So now my, my user base, my customer base used to be local. Now it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, and, and so um, adjusting or innovations around, um, and, and let's address adjusting. Let's, let's talk about adjusting. Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, so, uh, so for me, what that means is uh, adjusting is, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's innovation until we see what happens on the other side. <laughs> so for example, an organization that says we're going to have everybody work from home because of COVID, but as soon as things clear up, everybody's coming back to work. That tells me it was an adjustment. They didn't, despite the fact that they have people saying I'm more productive, I have a better work-life balance. So it was an adjustment because it didn't get, it didn't have, we didn't allow it to be an innovation. And the one that popped in my mind as you were talking, Michelle, is I was talking to a friend of mine that Craig knows a couple of weeks ago when I was in Raleigh. And she is very, the word is disappointed in the school where her daughter goes to school because her daughter's in private school. And she wrote a really direct letter that said, I'm disappointed in you as the headmaster and as a school because all you've done is you've innovated. Yes, you have because you took the curriculum and you've got it online to be delivered virtually. <laughs> but she said, that's, she said, that's not the innovation I want. I wanted to see, her phrase is, the education being shifted to meet this moment. This is a unique moment in time, and I don't see you doing that. So it wasn't an innovation, yes, to get it online, but she was saying, but you haven't taken this opportunity to create a whole nother educational experience right. beyond just the means of delivery. So is it innovation? Yes. She would be saying that would be an adjustment. Mm-hmm. And I might argue the same. Yeah. Or, or an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. or following the flow of evolution. What is the natural, what is the natural progression of things? So if we revisit the, the definition of innovation that we have, which is people making money because we work with B2B services companies primarily or companies that have uh, products that they are now turning it, wrapping services around, uh, people making money by turning failure into ideas that work. That is, um, that is beyond adaptation because you can adapt very successfully the, successfully the first time I think of, I don't know why it popped in my head, but um, I'm sitting in a seat on a bus, someone gets on the bus and I adjust over to make room for them. Uh, so that's that to me is an adjustment. Um, or, and we do that naturally without thinking about it because it's our personal space that's that's being invaded. <laughs> right, right. Or um, or I'm working out at the gym and I'm lifting weights and the trainer adjusts my form. So within learning how um, to innovate or how to fail or lo- taking what you uh, have experimented with you might adjust or change an idea 
-hmm. That adjustment, though, might come through some kind of a failure. Oh, it didn't work the way that I thought it would. I wonder if I tweak it or do something here. At the end of the day, if we, you know, everyone loves to talk about, you know, Apple is the great um, innovation firm. And I love to think about that Genesis story with um, Steve Wozniak, who was the genius, who had no desire at all really to sell what he was building. And Steve Jobs having a deep desire to serve as many people as possible or sell as much as possible. And that, that combination of creative invention, let me explore, try new things, see what works, and let me see what's gonna work for the broader audience. Or when Steve Jobs came back, let me see what's gonna work for that highly creative, super artist, designer that's going to care about as much about the look and feel of the object that they're working with because they know that what they wear from a fashion he was adopting fashion industry mm-hmm. you know methodologies into technology which had not really been done before it was a fashion item yeah and really it had by Nokia but Nokia was you know they they saw the cell phone as a fashion object so so there's There's adjustment, adaptation. Those are all things that can be leveraged towards innovation when when applied appropriately within the failure process that then leads you to what's going to work. What's going to work. So this is is where it gets challenging for us to, to bring this, put a bow on this. This is like we, I think we could go on for hours with this and I can see oh, yeah. many ways we could have you back, Michelle, because there's so much we touched the surface and just not really gotten too deep. Let me ask this question. So there's people out there listening who own businesses, lead businesses, whatever their role is. What do they need to think or know about innovation that maybe they didn't know before today? What do they need to hear from you when they think about innovation? Well, I, uh, what comes to me is what I would hope that they would think about themselves, <laughs> which is that uh, innovation is not rocket science. And by understanding the unique expertise, service, business, product that they bring into the world, that ultimately they do have all of the ingredients for innovation to be successful. They just might be mixing them in the uh, incorrect way or baking too soon, or (laughs) they just might not know the formula for their specific business. Innovation at the end of the day is, um, it is an internal desire for people to be the best that they can be. Mm -hmm. I, that is the, the individuals we've come across with. So, so if they're, if there is one thing that we try to impart upon executives um, or teams or business owners, it's that everything they need is already here. We just need to help them organize it a little bit differently so that they can be successful at it. Oh, I love that. Gotcha. Yeah. I, and I love that core principle that they already have everything they need. Mm-hmm. They need to, they need to need look at something differently, get some outside support and guidance, but they already have, everything they need. And that's what I really key message to finish with. So Michelle, uh, tell us, is there any, 
So Jeff, you know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like innovate where you are. <laughs> we talk about lead where you are. That's the innovate where you are. Live yeah, where we you have are. A, we, have a, we have a term that we say, innovation. Innovate anywhere, <laughs> anytime, with anyone, any day of the week. Nice. Innovation. There we go. I love new words. I love when people <laughs> create new words. It's the best fun ever. Uh, so, Michelle, is there anything in particular going on with you or within Ridge or something you want to highlight uh, for the listeners? Yeah, so uh, our my life's work has led us up to what is our what we would say is our proudest offering called business innovation and leadership design. Because we know for business innovation to be successful, it needs to develop the leaders who are going to help build the trust and respect, drive the uh, idea through the organization, and help everyone fail together with great uh, success at the end of the day (laughs) towards what the company's trying to achieve. And um, it is a three-phase program, and at the heart of it is who you are and what you're trying to achieve as an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's, if, if they would like to learn more about it, they can come to our website, ridge.com, R-I-D-G.com forward slash build, B-I-L-D. Uh, so it's pronounced build, but it is B-I-L-D. And uh, they can always schedule a coffee with Ben, uh, to, <laughs> which is not the podcast show. It is an experience um, and he'll see, if, uh, he'll see how, how you can help. And we also have an innovation scorecard if they would rather just do that solo. Mm-hmm. And how do people get in touch with you, Michelle, if they want to reach out and connect with you? Sure. They can reach out with, uh, to me with Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E at Ridge, R-I-D-G.com. Awesome. So as you know, Michelle, we always wrap up every episode with a question or two. I'm going to, and you let me have the luxury of asking the question and choosing Uh it. So I'm going to go with one that we don't get asked a lot. So imagine that you had the opportunity to have dinner with someone Mm -hmm. living. Who do you want to have dinner with? And what's the one question you want to ask them? A living person, and what would I want to ask them? Yep. Huh. Wow, that's a that's a deep thinky question. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I asked it. Because it's living, and my world is really small right now because it's my clients and my team and my family. Uh Wow. Uh, so, okay, this is going to sound so random. All right, so I was in Denver. I'm going to pre- preface it with I was in Denver. I can't remember the gentleman's name, but I met a gentleman outside the hotel and we had a big discussion about purpose. And he was from India. And he said that he thinks that uh, my clarity about purpose is, not, is rare. It's not normal. And so I would want to know amidst all of the shifts, and he was an executive in a company that had moved from India to the United States and was doing some corporate work. And so I would want to sit down with him and I would want to see if uh, in the midst of what has become an extremely human facing journey that has leveled the global 
human experience. We are all working from home around the world. Um, what is his perspective on purpose now? Hmm. I would want to know his perspective. I love oh. that. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you for being <laughs> here. And like, yeah, like, like, like anybody famous out there. I just, there's this guy I met randomly at a hotel. <laughs> That's the best most, though. Yeah. Those it's are like the best conversations. Yes. Yeah, like one of our podcast guests, we, we actually titled the, the episode. We just started talking. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's, that's, he, he is an innovator and a creator, and that's exactly right. He just has conversations with people, and next thing you know, there's ideas coming out of it and multiple tentacles to his business enterprise. And joint ventures. And, yeah. and a lot of those conversations were in bars where some of the best business happens. <laughs> Imagine that. So thank you for being with us, Michelle, and giving certainly giving me a whole different perspective and some things to think about around what is innovation. And I love innovation. <laughs> yes, innovation. Awesome. Thank Thanks. you. This is awesome. Thank you, Michelle. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.